shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Every single spring, that first day that I walk outside and I see that yellow dust all over my truck, I'm like, that is Satan's dandruff. It destroys me. I legitimately can't go outside for longer than three minutes because my eyes get swollen, my eyes get puffy, my nose gets congested, and I just simply can't breathe. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. When I started taking Claritin D about two months ago, I can finally get back outside and play pickleball again, which is what I love to do, but I couldn't do it because my allergies were so bad. Claritin D has legitimately allowed me to go outside again, ready to live life as if you don't have allergies it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. What is going on, friends and family? Welcome to episode 14 of the Human Hope Podcast with your host, say it together, Carlos Enrique Whittaker Guzman Archibald Cabello, or Los for short. This week, we got a lot. We got a lot. We got a lot. Well, we have a lot, not because there's been a lot planned, which there has, but also because there's been a lot going on. And you guys know that I love to lean into um, some conversations around culture, society, all the things that have been happening. And there's something that's been happening this last week that I know if you uh, if we've been friends for a minute on Instagram, you know you know what I want to talk about. If if you've been with me on Instagram the last week, you know what I want to talk about. I want to I want to start off strong this week's Human Hope podcast. With the simple fact that my life was changed when I drove into Carthage, Missouri. Why was my life changed? Well, I had two incredible conversations. I had one conversation with, uh, right next to my Airbnb was a Civil War museum. Y'all know I'm all about talking about race. I'm all about talking about um, things that make people uncomfortable in a very comfortable way. And so I thought, you know what, what better way than me getting uncomfortable walking into this Civil War Museum and having a conversation with what I assumed was going to be a, a Confederate Army apologist. I mean, I'm in the South. It's a Civil War Museum. There's an old white guy at the front. And I'm like, homeboy's going to wonder why this black dude's walking in to his tiny, I'm, when I say tiny, it was tiny little room, Civil War Museum. I mean, it it I could walk around the whole thing if I started and stopped and just walked at three miles an hour in about four seconds. And I just had to put my money where my mouth was. Wait, my money where my mouth was or is? 
I said, I got to get uncomfortable and I'm going to walk in and have a conversation with this man. I walked in and had the most incredible conversation with Stephen. Stephen was um, the volunteer, old retired man. And, you know, if you're new to the podcast, I have been very honest about my bias towards old white men in the South. Um, the N word has been thrust upon me more times than not every time it's happened by an older white gentleman in the South. That's kind of where it happens. So therefore my bias has uh, reasons. There's, there's truth behind why I feel what I feel, but why I feel what I feel doesn't make it true about every white man in the South. So that's why I've got to continue to confront my bias. And I went in there. We had an incredible conversation. I learned a lot about the civil war. I learned a lot about a lot of the the soldiers in the Confederate Army didn't even want to fight, but they were drafted and they were either going to go fight in the war or they were going to have to stay in a prison, basically a dungeon, uh, because they they started the war with volunteers, just like the North did. And then people were like, man, I, <laughs> I love the South, but I don't love it that much to be walking around with no food, no water in this heat um, with the potential of my head getting blown off that nah, I ain't into that. And then they, again, something I learned, they, they drafted and they started forcing these young men. I just learned so much, but I was able to ask him some hard questions. I was able to ask him, you know, what, how do you continue to have pride in the South, knowing that a lot of what the South stands for and stood for offends black men and women, um, black men like myself. And gosh, he had such a great, um, answer. I mean, he basically said, um, you know, there's, there's, you can, you can love something while holding it responsible for some of the bad things. You can say, I don't love certain things about something or somebody while you still love other things about them. And I'm just glad that he said that. And he, I mean, he straight up said racism, slavery was abhorrent and it was against the heart of God. Um, and I can't ever believe people did that. And so he didn't make an excuse for it, but he did still talk about how he was still proud of some Southern things. Anyway, I, it's in a highlight. I recommend you guys going back uh, to my Instagram and watching the whole conversation that I had with my new friend, Steven. That was the first thing I had that happened in Carthage. And then, and then, and then all of our collective lives were rescued at the same time by one DM that I got from somebody saying, hey, you're in Carthage. You Did you know that there was a precious moments, there is a precious moments chapel and museum and the headquarters are in And I'm like, wait, precious moments? You, you mean like the little figurines with the big eyeballs that were always looking sad from the 80s? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what do you mean a chapel? Oh, the 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 creator of precious moments, Mr. Butcher is his name. Well, he he happened to stop by Carthage, Tennessee. I don't know on a business trip. Fell in love with the place and said, "I'm a I'm a set up shop here." Then he built a replica of the Sistine Chapel in Carthage. I, okay, I mean that the story could stop right here, but y- y'all know now. If you if you didn't follow the story on Instagram, it went kind of viral. I had a bunch of people share it, and it was viewed over a million times. <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> I still can't believe everything that my eyes saw. And I took you guys on a tour. I was nervous. I was scared. Listen, precious moments, things kind of creeped me out a little bit. I was scared that if I went to this museum Sistine Chapel replica thing, that I would be turned into a precious moment statue. Had definite get out vibes. 
If you've not seen the movie, you need to go see it. But that's what I was feeling going into this place. Every, there were weeds everywhere. Parking lot was kind of being overgrown. One of the parking lots by some weeds. Like you could tell like like this Precious Moments Chapel theme park thing had a heyday and we were no longer in it. But I am, I am certain that 1989, the place was hopping. That there were brothers and sisters all around that place being like, Precious Moments. Rumor, I mean, I started hearing from you guys that went there like in childhood. You were like, yeah, there used to be like Precious Moments. You know, like people in costumes, like you go to Disneyland, but they had big Precious Moments heads on. And I was terrified. <laughs> I, I found out, I also found out there's lots of you that love Precious Moments. You either loved Precious Moments or you were terrified by Precious Moments. And there, there's like no middle ground. So a lot of us have a lot of nostalgia towards these precious moments figurines. So I thought, why not go? So I went and I, I, I don't, I can't even explain it on the podcast. You honestly are going to have to go to my highlight. Of course, I haven't left it on a highlight and watch it yourself. I was petrified. I was scared. I was moved. I was touched. I was petrified again. I was mortified. I was, I was all of the emotions in a course of an hour and a half walking around. I, the, the highlight was only 15 minutes. So as more and more people jumped onto the uh, highlight and the story, I started getting more stories. And then I actually ran across one of you guys who, no lie, designs precious moments figurines. Yes, that is true. <laughs> One of you guys reached out to me on Instagram. And you're like, Carlos, guess what? I design precious moments figurines. And I said, excuse me? Now, Beth is your name. And I started doing a little bit of research. And sure enough, <laughs> Beth ain't lying. Beth has designed a few precious moments figurines. And friends, would I not be. Uh, I don't know. Would I not be like a true professional podcast host if I did not invite Beth, the Precious Moments designer, on the show for you? So, without further ado, we have, ladies and gentlemen, an actual Precious Moments figurine designer here to tell us exactly what goes in to her day-to-day -day when she designs these bad boys. Friends and family, welcome, Beth. Beth, take it away. Hi, my name is Beth, and uh, I'm calling from Golden, Colorado, and um, I actually am a product designer, product developer for a company called The Bradford Exchange, and we specialize in a lot of different licenses and brands, but one of them being uh, Precious Moments. So uh, I've been doing it for about 14 years, and I... Um, have created some Precious Moments products, uh, specifically um, snow globes and glitter globes with Precious Moments in them. And um, yeah, it's a really fun kind of unique job. So how it works is, uh, you know, every three weeks I'll present, um, you know, eight to 10 new ideas, kind of thinking of uh, what the brand stands for and what's kind of unique to market and what would kind of resonate with um, the customers and kind of that feeling uh, 
specifically targeted to, you know, a relationship, granddaughter or daughter or um, love. And uh, so I'll create it on Photoshop and piece things together, design. Um, so as an artist, I'll, I'll kind of create that through Photoshop and then uh, present the idea in a meeting to um, the powers be, the higher ups internally in our group. And um, once that approved, then I'll send it to Precious Moments for their review and approval. Um, and then we kind of make sure it's, you know, it's on brand to what they like and what is the best it can be and then kind of go from there to um, sell it to the customers so it's really fun it's kind of unique um, it just it makes me smile uh, I love working um, kind of creating new things like, like I said as an artist uh, a product designer it's a very cool different kind of job that um, creating gifts and creating trinkets and, and collectibles um, just kind of makes you feel good because <laughs> it it helps uh, when people buy it. Hopefully, the, the goal is that they feel good about it, or they'll give it to someone that makes that smile, or or um, kind of goes from there. So, anyway, uh, thank you for having me, and um, yeah, I appreciate it. Bye. And that is why I love Instagram because you guys are the most fascinating human beings on planet Earth, and you give this human some hope. You know, I was. Uh, I was really blown away by her job, Beth's job. But then I started thinking, I wonder how many fascinating jobs the rest of you guys have. Like, I, I feel like we need to do a Human Hope episode where it's nothing but me interviewing you guys about what you do. You know, because when I went to this Precious Moments um, museum chapel thing, I did start to, I, I don't know, I kind of started getting that Mike Rowe vibe. Like, I don't know how long Mike's going to be doing the dirty jobs thing, but maybe, you know, if my stint and my application to be the next host of The Bachelor gets turned down, maybe I can be the next host of Dirty Jobs and I can travel America hanging out with you guys, you know, not necessarily dirty jobs, but how about just like fascinating jobs, like hanging out with you guys. You know, I, I was actually talking to Sharon McMahon and I was like, we need to do a show. We need to do a thing where we travel uh, to all of like Americana history, but strange historical Americana sites like the Precious Moments Museum. Like the next place I want to go is Cabbage Patch Kid birthing place in South Georgia somewhere. Apparently like they have live births of the Cabbage Patch Kids, but they're being birthed through heads of cabbage, which my wife may want to come along and explain to us exactly how a cabbage uh, births another baby cabbage because she's a gardener. She understands these things. But all of these things uh, are fascinating to me. And so who knows? Guess, who knows where all of these conversations will take us? But I appreciate you, Beth, so much for uh, hanging out with the Human Hope listeners for a minute. Also, we're going to get into some pretty heavy stuff in a few minutes. So I want to keep it light for a few more minutes and bring in uh, bring back Clean Jokes with Carlos because I've heard from many of you that you are now like the most sought after conversationalist at many of your parties because you suddenly tell jokes like, why can't an ant get COVID? Because it has tiny little antibodies, right? Like those jokes are making you the kings and the queens of conversations at your parties. So without further ado, let's bring in some more recent Clean Jokes. Take it away, friends. Hey, this is Steven from Portland. My joke is, how much does a roof cost? Nothing. It's on the house. What's orange and sounds like a parrot? A carrot. 
Hey Carlos, this is Jeff from Missouri. What do you get when you cross an elephant with a rhino? Elephino. What did the drummer name his two daughters? Anna one, Anna two. Hey Carlos, did you hear what happened when the butcher backed up into his meat grinder? He said, oh man, I just got behind in my work. I get it. Behind in my work. I got feet. Okay, bye. Hey, Carlos. This is Alexandra up in Hendersonville. Here's my clean joke. Why do mermaids wear seashells? Because B shells are too small and D shells are too big. Hey, Carlos. Where does the general keep his armies? In his sleeveys. <sighs> Where does the general keep his armies in his sleeveys? Of course. Guys, I, I actually got... Okay, crowd, simmer down. It wasn't that funny. I actually got more clean jokes than I know what to do with. What do you think? Weekly, weekly, weekly segment? I mean, that was only like two and a half minutes. Ah, it just makes you feel good. And now you guys have... You got the arsenal. You're ready. You ready for the next party? You ready for the next dinner? Tonight, I need you guys uh, to ask your kids what happens when you cross an elephant and a rhino. And you just need to look at them and go, Elephino, this is so good. You guys are amazing. Gosh, you make me feel so good. And it's exactly what I need to feel uh, as I give you my story of hope. Uh, a lot of you guys have been wondering uh, over the last few weeks, just because I guess I forget that new people show up around here. And I just assume that everybody has been following me on Instagram for a decade and was around when my life fell apart and was around when I put it back together. But looky here, that's not the case. And I released uh, a book in 2017 that dives into uh, the depths of despair that I found myself in. And what I'm going to do today is share that story with you guys because I know that there are those of you that have made decisions in your life that has that have ruined your life, and you're in the midst of behavioral and cyclical behavioral patterns that don't seem to be going away. Uh, you've tried everything to get rid of them, and you keep destroying your life over and over and over again. And I'm here to share my story with you to let you know that although the story begins with devastation and trauma. It ends with light and hope and freedom. And I'm here to tell you and to be your source of hope today to let you know. If Carlos, if Carlos Enrique Rodriguez Guzman Cabello can pull this off, I promise you, you can too. I'm nothing special. I ain't got no like, like extra grit inside of me that you don't have inside of you. So I'm going to share with you guys my story of hope today uh, in hopes that it not only encourages you uh, to keep pressing on, but gives you some tools, very practical tools that you guys can put into play right here, right now, today to begin to find freedom again. So sit back as I share with you guys my story of hope. Now, I got... I got plenty of stories of hope. This is just maybe one of the more public ones. I say more public ones. I've shared a lot uh, online over the years, but 
this one is is a big one because I lost everything uh, and then I got it back. Spoiler alert, if it's a story of hope, like the ending um, is better than the beginning. And I know that's not the case for everybody. So I, I need a couple caveats before I share this. Uh, I need to let everybody know that the, the way my story ended up is not the way everybody's story is going to end up. Okay, so that's first of all. Secondly, I, I, I know that I've got various faith backgrounds that follow me. Yet, if you follow me, you know that I am like a Jesus-loving believer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that that's that's who I am. Uh, so just know that, you know, as I as I explain my story, I found I found a lot of hope uh, in my faith, uh, and that doesn't mean that if you don't share my faith that you can't take things from this. So I don't want you to turn it off when you, when you hear me um, explain where, where I found my hope because it's my truth. It's where I found it. Uh, and I would just hope that you would be open-minded enough to know that my story of hope um, is not something you have to detach from just because you don't share a common belief system with me. If there's one thing that you guys know it's that I, I invite people of all backgrounds and faiths into my space, uh, and I'm glad that you're here. I've got atheists. I've got agnostics. I've got Buddhists. I've got um, people that just believe in some sort of higher power-ish, you know, but I, I, I'm not going to apologize when I, when I tell you that my faith is in Jesus and my faith is in the gospel uh, that was presented, and that's where some of this is going to um, is going to lead you. So again, I, I wanted to have that caveat here because this conversation of hope sometimes can leave people feeling more hopeless if they're not um, situated correctly in, a, in, in the correct posture before the story. Okay. So I know that some of you guys aren't here yet, haven't gotten to a place of hope yet, are feeling very hopeless. And I know that some of you guys may not even get to the same space I am when it comes to my faith. That's not the goal. The goal of this conversation is not to get you to think like me and believe like me. My goal is simply to tell you my story of hope and let you know that hope is available. All right. So let's rewind back to 2010. 10 years married. Um, and things are okay. I mean, they're they're okay, you know. I'm I'm kind of living, we're kind of living that um our our kids are young. They are I don't know, eight, six, and four-ish. And we'd recently moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and things were actually going really well, uh, I would say, work-wise for me. At the time, I was a full-time musician. I was an artist on a record label. I was touring. And I mean, I was playing like sold-out shows. Now I was opening for the sold-out artists, but I was still playing sold-out shows. And things were good. And, you know, the danger is when things, things are good in your life, the danger is we begin to take all the credit for things being good in our lives, right? So we begin to, uh, to feel like we are the ones responsible for the blessings in our life. And the truth of, of how what I believe is that everything that I have is a gift that has been given to me by God. So my skill set, my money, my house, my everything is their gifts like on loan to me. Um, and I get to use them while I'm here. This is awesome. 
But what, what happens inevitably when things become, uh, are good in our lives, we begin to start taking credit for all the blessings in our life, which ultimately turns us into our own deity. And I just know that that is the beginning of the unraveling for so many people. Because what ends up happening is we feel like we can have our cake and eat it too. And that's what was happening with me. Things were going so good in my music career. Um, I mean, so good, guys. So good. Put it this way. So good that like two weeks before my very first record came out called Ragamuffin Soul, I had a video go viral that of my son, he was singing all the single ladies. <laughs> And I told him that he's not a single lady. I was being funny. 2010, okay? And he started crying. I thought it was funny. So I, instead of sending it to my mom, I uploaded it to YouTube. Google, or just YouTube, Single Ladies Devastation. You can find it. Uh, we won a People's Choice Award for Viral Video of the Year for that video. Two weeks before my record goes viral, excuse me, before my record comes out, the video goes viral, and my record goes number one everywhere. Like, I, I am, like, top-selling Christian artist. And it was because, it, so I'm, when I tell you everything was going good, I'm telling you everything was going good. And I started to believe that I could just have everything, anything that comes my way, I can have it with no repercussions. And the, and the, the truth of the state of my existence is that I was barely surviving. I was surviving 100% in my flesh. Whatever I could do to make myself feel good. That was it. That's what I was getting my joy from. So I began to dabble in some areas uh, in my life that I knew I wasn't supposed to. So like I tapped my toe, dipped my toe into like some behaviors that I knew uh, a man like me should not be dipping my toe into. And then I'd kind of take my toe out and I look around. And I was like, hey, check it out. No, nobody found out. No, I'm uh, Heather didn't find out. The kids don't know. My friends don't know. That was, and actually that was fun. Don't ever let anybody tell you that some behaviors that are bad for you don't initially feel great because they're lying. So, so I began to, I dip my whole foot in the next day and then I take my foot out and I was like, Hey, check it out. Look at me. I'm dancing now. Nobody knows. This is amazing. And day after day, I got deeper and deeper into this sin issue, this behavioral issue that I knew was wrong. And before I knew it, I was no longer kind of dancing between light and dark, I'll say, but I was drowning in the darkness. And when I say drowning, I was, I was so far deep into the sin within a few months that I, I could see no way out. And here's the thing, like, I like listened to all the right podcasts. <laughs> I read all the books. I tried everything with everything inside of me to get out of this behavioral, spiraling behavioral pattern in my life. But I just couldn't do it in my own strength. I tried, I listened, I listened to all the sermons, everything. I did not want to be doing what I was doing. I didn't want to be doing it. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So also know that people that are stuck in cyclical behaviors of destruction in their life, please know that they're not like waking up every day excited about this behavioral pattern. Okay. I wasn't excited about potentially destroying my life. I wasn't excited about doing bad things, but I couldn't stop. I was, I was in chains. And I'll never forget when my dancing between light and dark turned into drowning. <clears throat> I am, um, excuse me, I'm going to try to not get choked up here a couple times as, as I tell the story. You know, the, the farther away from the story it gets, the less I want to talk about it, right? Like I've got a whole other book that's come out since this book where I explained all this stuff. And, um, you know, I don't talk about that last book anymore. Why? Because, well, it's getting farther away and like to relive trauma really is painful, but I know how important it is that you guys hear this. Some of you guys are stuck in behaviors right now that are ruining your life. And the day it ruined mine, I was, I, uh, Heather was in the front of the condo we were living in. We just moved to Nashville. My kids are really little again. They were what, eight, six and four. And I, um, was in the back of the condo with them playing some game. And I remember I smelled dinner being, uh, Heather was preparing dinner up front. We lived in a tiny condo. Uh, we just moved to Nashville. So I left the kids in the back and I went to the front and I was like, Hey babe, what's for dinner? And, uh, she didn't answer me. And I was like, babe, you know, like what's for, I mean, we didn't live in a big place. So I ran in the corner into the kitchen and she wasn't in there, but the pot was still on the stove. So I looked into the back, our back patio. She wasn't there. I'd already walked through the entire condo to get to the front. So she wasn't in the house, which is really weird. And here's the deal. Whenever you are in a pattern of, uh, of destructive behavior that you're hiding from those you love, you know when you're about to get discovered. And my heart started to pound because I sprinted out of the front door and I ran to the driveway and the minivan was gone. And then I sprinted back into the house to grab my laptop off the sofa and my laptop was gone. And I knew in that moment that I was no longer dancing, that I was drowning. So I ran to the back and I, my kids were still playing and I, I grabbed him and I sat him on the sofa. And with tears in my eyes, I looked at him and I said, daddy's made a big mistake. And they were so confused. Uh, and I began to spill my heart out to them saying, daddy's just made a big mistake. Daddy's really hurt mommy. Daddy's made a big mistake. Um, and before I could finish my, my brave heart speech to my kids, there was a knock on the door. And I went to the front and it was my best friend, Blake, and his wife, Allie. And they looked at me and they said, Heather knows everything. Uh, she knows all your secrets. She wants the kids and she wants you out. And friends, so began the, the darkest season of my life. So began the season where I lost my faith in God. I lost my faith in 
Actually, I don't know how much faith I had in God at the time. Um, it was dark. I moved out of my house. Um, my kids, in that moment, they, they, they left. They were so confused because they saw their dad crying. And then they were like, why is Mr. Blake and Miss Allie taking us? And Heather was over at their house and she took them over there. And I, I, I ran to my kitchen sink and I vomited. And I started to curse at God. And, and can I tell you what my, my cursing at God was? This was it. Because here's the truth. I had prayed that God would help me stop. I had begged God, begged him for the strength to stop in this issue in my life. And why I was cussing him out is because I had not found the strength. He'd, I, 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 I'd assumed he'd not given it to me. And there goes my family. Guys, at the time, I was like signed to a Christian record label, touring, leading worship at mega churches across the country. And here I was. Now, you know, I'm going to put a little side here. People wonder why I'm so grace-filled and I don't count, cancel people. <laughs> like, I, I really don't. Like, I'm like Mr. Like anti-cancel. Why? Well, because had this happened to me 10 years later, there's so many people that have canceled me that love me right now. People tell me all the time, how in the world can you be friends with that person? Do you know what they, and I'm like, how in the world can you follow me? Do you know what I've done? Yeah, you, you've got the healed version of me, but guess what? I wasn't always the healed version of me. That's a whole other story. We'll get into that in another conversation. But after, my, after I vomit in the sink and I pack my bags, I move out. And I moved in actually with Blake and his family. And his four beautiful little girls. And I no longer lived with mine. And I began to beg my wife every day, forgive me. Please forgive me. Will you please forgive me? I would text her, nothing, nothing back. One month, nothing, didn't hear from her. Two months, nothing. Three months, nothing. Four months, nothing. And I realized that my marriage was over. And I'd actually gotten to the point I was on my last, uh, one of my last nights. I didn't feel like life was worth living. I'd been crucified by so many Jesus-following, quote-unquote, Christians. I'd been, I was done. I was so angry at God. I mean, I, I, even had a, I even had a friend of mine call me to tell me that I needed to feel the weight of my sin in order for me to change. Like, like literally, I needed to replace what Jesus did for me on the cross. He didn't say that, but that's what he was saying. Then one night I got a, I got a phone call, or I got a text actually, um, from my friend Mike, Mike Foster. And his text was a scripture. At least I think it was Mike. I've said it was Mike this whole time. It's been 10 years. Mike, if this wasn't you, tell me, tell me it wasn't you so I can maybe look in my text history to see what it was. But I got a scripture from a friend. I think it was Mike. And it was 1 Peter 5.10. And the scripture says this, Now the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. Now. I don't know about you, 
But that's a freaking fire scripture, right? The God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory and crises will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. I'm into that. But you see, there wasn't a period after support you. <laughs> it was a comma. And then it said, after you have suffered. Oh, crap. So you're telling me that there's going to be suffering in this life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's the case. But then there also wasn't a period after that. It's it suffered a little. And actually, I felt mocked. I read the scripture for a second. I was like, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me scripture that, that you, you're telling me that I'm going to suffer just a little. This does not feel like a little. This has been months and I've lost everything that I've ever loved. But in that moment, I just felt like God himself said, this suffering feels like everything, but I promise you one day it's going to feel like a little. And can I tell you in that moment, I decided to stop focusing my entire existence on saving my marriage and instead figure, you know what? I'm going to try to save my soul. Now that scripture says that he will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. That does not mean there will not be repercussions for behavioral issues in our life. Consequences are real. Okay? So it doesn't mean that you're going to be sucked out of your consequences, but it does mean that your soul is available to be restored, established, strengthened, and supported. And so when I understood that after about an hour of weeping in reading that scripture. I said, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm looking for this promise. Let's go. And I began to shift and I began to change and I began to try to focus on my healing, not the healing of anything else in my life. And guess what? Things got, things started to get a little better. And, and I began to, I was in the word. I was, uh, even my friends started noticing things in me. And about a month after that, I'll never forget. I, I, um, <laughs> Uh, things are starting to get better. I, I know my marriage is over now, but I get a text message for the first time in months from my wife. And the message just said, coffee, question mark. And I was like, yes, exclamation point. Right. And so I meet Heather and I'll never forget. She looks at me and she's like, is what I hear about you true? Because see, people have been talking now. I wasn't talking for me anymore. The evidence was mounting. And there were witnesses experiencing the truth of what I was becoming without me having to sell myself. And I just said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm not going to tell you yes or no, um, but you can watch because I know you're not going to believe a word I say. And so she watched from a distance and then she watched from a closer distance and then she watched from a closer distance and it took work and it took a lot. But can I tell you the God of all grace who called me to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, personally restored, established, strengthened, and supported. Over time, my marriage and that family I lost, they're upstairs making way too much noise right now as I'm trying to record this podcast. Beauty from ashes. Does that mean everybody that is, um, has an addiction that's destroying your marriage right now is going to get their marriage back? Nope. But you know what it does mean? That you can get your soul back. And I'm telling you, had my marriage never been restored, my soul would have been, and it was. And I'm so grateful that that restoration did occur, but it took work. It took lots of work. It took lots of therapy, lots of therapy. 
It took lots of me swallowing my pride and realizing that I need to do the work. Now, a lot of people ask me, like, what was the sin? What was the specific sin issue? The reason why I don't get into that is because, I mean, you could figure it out on your own or you could guess, but because it, it doesn't matter. Like whatever behavioral pattern that you're in that's destroying your life can be resurrected. Your life can be resurrected again and it doesn't matter what it is. So anything can destroy. And we're going to get into those, some, some specifics as to whatever issue it is in your life you're dealing with. We're going to get into how it is you can find that resurrection and restoration from that. So I don't, I don't necessarily get into the specifics of what the sin was, but just know it destroyed my marriage. And so we're in therapy, we're in counseling, right? Like we're going for it. Things are getting a little better, but there's still tons of trauma involved and things are better. And then like, we're like two years post trauma in our marriage and in our life. And, you know, we're still in therapy. And finally, like our, our marriage therapist, his name's Al. Um, I love you, Al. Uh, he's like, okay, Heather, you're done, but I need to keep meeting with Carlos because you're not quite done yet. And so, you know, I'm like two years into this. I'm seeing Al like every week and I'm like, yo, bro. How, when when are we going to be done? Like, I feel good. I feel really good. Like, I feel like my behavioral issue, like I'm, I'm like almost, I'm almost over it. You know, like you get like 80% better from whatever issue it is in your life and you 80% better feels like 100% because like when you were at 0%, you know that like 80% feels good. And I was like 80%. Like I was like, good. I'd rolled up my sleeves. I was striving and I'll never forget. Al looked at me. He said, you're almost done with therapy. You got to figure out one thing. And I was like, okay, Al, what is it? He goes, you need to figure out why you keep rubbing crap on your blessings. Excuse me? You can't tell me that. You're my Christian therapist. You cannot say that I'm rubbing crap on my blessings. But then I would look at the timeline in my life and I look back and I realize how true was this? And we began to go back through my life and every single time I would get a blessing in my life, something incredible would happen. I would find a way to rub crap all over it. Why? That was the question. Why? Why would I keep rubbing crap on my blessings? Well, I wouldn't be able to figure this out in Al's office. I'll tell you that. I'm a big believer in therapy. A big believer in therapy. I mean, I've been in so much therapy, okay? You guys go read my books. You're going to realize how much therapy I had. But therapy was only the beginning of the change that needed to happen in me. There was so much more that needed to happen. And we're going to get to that in just a second. Um, because I, <laughs> I found out why I ripped crap on my blessing. And um, I found out how to stop doing it. And we'll get to that in a second. But... What I want to get to right now, honestly, is the good news that every single one of you have access to help, like therapy help, all of you. And if you've been listening to the podcast before, you know that one of my favorite partners to partner with is BetterHelp. And BetterHelp is quite simply a space. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Okay. You can get timely and thoughtful responses to all your questions. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your own licensed therapist without ever having to leave. Listen, when I would go and I would visit Al, every single time I'd walk into Al's office, I was like in the waiting room, I was like mortified because there were two times 
that I recognized two people that I was like, oh my gosh, they know that I need help. Now, the truth is we all need help and we shouldn't be embarrassed to go and find therapy. But if you are, you don't ever have to sit in a waiting room where somebody could possibly see you. Okay. doesn't matter where you're at. These licensed professional counselors, they're specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleep, trauma, anger, LGBTQ matters, grief, self-esteem, whatever it is, it is affordable for you. So this is what you guys do. If you want to find yourself an online counselor, go to my special link, betterhelp.com slash human hope. Now, let me spell that out. Okay. So you don't think it's better health. Sometimes my P's aren't very clear. Better help. H E L P dot com slash human hope. And just so you guys know, by being a listener of the podcast, you get 10% off your first month. Just do it for a month. Just get, give me, give me one month. Go to betterhelp.com slash human hope and join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, betterhelp.com slash human hope. Now, back to Al, right? My Al telling me I got to stop rubbing crap on my blessings. My jaw drops because I realize he's true. He's right. So I get up and I walk out and I walk to the minivan, the you know famous minivan that my life fell apart in and got put back together in all the things. And I did the only thing I needed to do. I called my dad. Now, for those of you guys that have been around a minute, you know my dad. My dad's name is Fermin Agustin Whitaker. He is a black Panamanian from Colón, Panama, immigrated to the United States in 1960 with $20 cash and a shoe shine kit. Like the American dream, right? This man shows up, he shines shoes, he makes enough money for college, he goes to college. He's now Dr. Fermin Whitaker. Okay, like the man is the American dream. He's the epitome of success. The reason why I called him is because I know the man's been through a lot and he's so wise, but he also makes me feel so freaking lazy. So lazy. So I call my dad and I'm like, dad, he's like, Carlitos. I said, dad, he's like, Carlitos. I was like, you need to help me because Al just told me that I rub crap on my blessings. And uh, my dad said, I'll never forget it. He goes, oh, Carlitos, I know why you rub crap on your blessings. I was like, you do. Well, how come you waited until I was like 30 something years old to tell me? Tell me, why is it I... Rub crap on my blessings. He goes, let me tell you a story. I was like, oh, no, no, dad, I ain't got time for a story. Listen, my dad, when he says, let me tell you a story, his stories go on and on and on and on. But he said, no, listen, let me tell you a story. And this, my friends, is what he said. When I was in Panama preaching my very first revival, I gave the invitation at the end of the revival. And nobody came to the front. But there was one very old lady in the back of the church. She slowly makes her way to the front of the church. She has a cane. She is very old. Her name is Miss Ramirez. And Miss Ramirez gets to the front of the church and she says, Pastor, can you please pray for me? And I said, of course. How can I pray? She says, Pastor, can you please pray that God would clean the cobwebs from my life? My dad was like, well, that is very poetic. So he prayed. I don't know when to do my dad's accent or mine, but he prayed. God cleaned the cobwebs from Mr. Mises' life. He says, Carlitos, night numero dos, Mr. Mises, she comes to the front again. And she's still crying. 
And she says, Pastor, can you pray again that God would clean the cobwebs from my life? And my dad said, he prayed again. Lord, clean the cobwebs from Mr. Ramirez's life. He says, Carlitos, night numero tres. Miss Ramirez, still crying, walks to the front of the church very slowly again. And she looks at me square in the eye and says, Pastor, uno mas best. one more time, can you please pray that God would clean the cobwebs from my life? And my dad said he looked her square in the eye and said, no. Uh-uh. Eh. I don't know if he, I don't know if he did the sound effects, but he said, no. Mr. Ramirez, nosotros, we've been praying the wrong prayer. Tonight, we are not going to pray that God cleans the cobwebs from your life. Tonight, instead, we pray that God would kill the spider. Okay. When he told me that, every hair on the back of my neck stood up. Because I knew exactly why he told me that story. I didn't know why until the very end, but then I knew. He said, Carlitos, you are a professional cobweb cleaner. You're a professional cobweb cleaner. You can no longer continue to go to your therapist, Al, and clean the cobwebs. You must find the root and kill the spider. So began the next season of healing in my life. Now, it wasn't overnight. But it definitely shifted. You see, I didn't have like a fancy definition at the time for what a spider was or what a cobweb was. Uh, you know, ultimately, I ended up writing, releasing a book in 2017 called Kill the Spider, where I, I help you guys do this. Um, it's a little longer than a podcast episode, but you can go pick that up. I think it, it, it's going to help. But you don't need it. I'm going to tell you what it is right now. Like, I'm going to tell you how to kill it. Before you can kill the spider, you got to find the spider. And before you find the spider, you got to define the spider. Oh, I ain't never said that before. I'm a poet and I didn't know it again. Before you kill the spider, you got to find the spider. Before you find the spider, you got to define the spider. So as let's remember the story. As Miss Amidas is um, wanting to clean the cobwebs, let's... Get to the root. Let's define a spider, first of all. What's this spider that all of us have to get to, okay? Okay, listen, again, all of us have these. I'm not just talking about those of you that have like sins that are going to destroy your life or behavioral patterns that are going to destroy your life. You all have them. Ultimately, any behavior that is not rooted, what I believe is in God, the behavior will ultimately destroy you. It may not feel huge, but it will. And so we all have them. We all have spiders. Don't just forward this podcast episode to your friends that are like addicted to drugs or porn or whatever it may be. It's for all of you. We'll get to that in a second. So let's define a spider first of all. Okay, here we go. A spider is an agreement you have made with a lie. Now, it took me a lot of work. It took me, I went to this place called Onsite Workshops. I'll actually be uh, on their podcast in a couple of weeks with my friends, uh, Lindsay and Miles. But I went to Onsite, which, which was the beginning of me finding my spider, okay? But a spider is an agreement you have made with a lie. We all have them. You all have them. We all do. These agreements with lies in turn produce behaviors 
that we don't want. But what do most of us do? We go straight to the behavior. But the behavior isn't the problem. The lie, the agreement with the lie is. So, excuse me. We've got to find the lie. A spider's an agreement you've made with a lie. Well, what are some common lies? I mean, there's big lies, right? Most of these lies were birthed in childhood, okay? I am not enough. I am not loved. I have been abandoned. I have, many of them start with I have or I am. But these lies are what are causing our behaviors. We got to find them. Now, there are literally thousands of lies, whatever the lie is you believe. It could have, a, a, a lie could have been birthed when you were divorced and somebody told you, somebody looked you in the eye and said, you're ugly. You're worthless. Lies are formed. Spiders are formed. That is what we've got to get to. But the, the truth is that is hard to get to. It's not easy to find the lie. You know what, what's easy is to find the cobweb, right? It's not easy to find the spider. It's way easier to find a cobweb. You guys know, like, like if there's a spider in the corner of your room, like, and you see it, you're like, oh man, like, do I want to get up and kill that thing? I mean, it's way up in the corner. Maybe it's not going to bother me. I only see it every couple of days, but then it starts spinning cobwebs, right? It starts spinning the cobwebs. And what is the cobweb? Well, if a spider's an agreement you've made with a lie, a cobweb is the medicating behavior that brings comfort to the lie. That's how I define a cobweb. This is where we spend all of our time. What's the medicating behavior? That's bringing comfort to the lie. Well, gosh, I mean, if you don't know what your cobweb is, just ask your family. Every single one of you that's listening to this right now has a cobweb. They're medicating behaviors that bring comfort to whatever lie it is you believe about yourself. So if a spider's a lie, then the cobweb's the behavior. And we spend all of our time in the cobwebs. Well, why? I mean, let's be honest. Cobwebs are easy to clean, right? You walk down the self-help aisle at Barnes & Noble, do they still have that? Our bookstore still thing? I hope, hopefully they are. They, that's the cobweb aisle. Five steps to a better marriage. Three steps to stop looking at porn. Four steps to stop overspending. Seven steps to stop whatever it may be. Gossiping. Whatever your medicating behavior is, that's your cobweb. That is not the problem. Oof. Some of you guys are like, nope, I'm done. I can't listen to this. Now he's talking blasphemy. You're telling me that the alcohol that my husband consumes isn't the problem? Yeah. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the alcohol isn't the problem because alcohol isn't inherently evil. But there's a lie that somebody believes that the alcohol is medicating. Therefore, what you got to do is you got to destroy the lie by by throwing away all the liquor bottles, by putting, you know, locks, padlocks on the liquor cabinet. That's not going to give anybody freedom. But finding the lie that they believe about that is causing them to medicate with the alcohol, you break that, friends, you got freedom. You kill that spider, friends, you got freedom. You see? Spiders, cobwebs. Spiders, cobwebs. So, common cobwebs. What are some? We got the ugly cobwebs. I've named some of them. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, affairs. Ugly cobwebs. You can look in people ju- and judge people with those all day long. But how about some of the pretty cobwebs, huh? Let me touch on some of you guys. How about some of you workaholics? How about some of you 
that are trying to work your way up your whatever structure of company, corporate ladder you've got to your corner office, guess what your life could be? That your identity is placed and worth is based on some nameplate, on some title, and that is medicating that that the working is medicating that lie see they, they don't they don't have to look ugly now i'm not saying working hard is bad inherently no i'm working hard right now but when the working becomes the medicating behavior see even my wife the hero of this story right she's the mvp she's the one that took me back when i'm writing kill the spider i i for sure was like Baby, this book ain't for you. You ain't got no spiders. She's like, you don't think I have any spiders? I got spiders. I was like, how do you have spiders? She goes, listen, you know all those parties that I throw? My wife is like the most incredible host party thrower ever. She loves to cook. She loves to throw parties. There was a season in our life where we were having parties every other day. People were over at our house. I loved it. I I didn't see anything spidery about that. But she told me, do you know my spider? In my cobweb, my cobweb, my medicating behavior are these parties that I throw. What? How's that? Well, she said, because the lie that I believe is that I must do to be loved. Mm. Lord have mercy. So you're telling me that Snow White herself, my wife, the queen of all animals and love and joy and peace, has spiders. If she got spiders, everybody's got spiders. And we all do. And again, the easy thing is to find the cobweb. You don't know what your cobweb is? Ask your family. They'll tell you very kindly. They'll tell you, but it's easy. But the spider, on the other hand, that's hard to get to. So how do we kill the spider? We got to find it. How do we find the spider? All right, this is where I need you to hang on. I need all of you to hang on. I need you to know quite simply, that I'm going to ask you to do something that may sound asinine and insane. The way you find your spider is you ask God to reveal it. Yep, that's what I said. I believe, because I know I'm like my own beta test, I know that I hear the voice of God. I have like conversational intimacy relationship with God. Like God's not some like deity in the sky that I can't communicate with or or what's the point of prayer, right? Praying isn't just like a speech into a bullhorn that you just send off into the stratosphere. That's, that's not the point. <laughs> prayer is a conversation, right? And like, I, you know, I, I, I get to this point a lot of times in the story and I even lose a lot of Christians. And the reason why I lose a lot of Christians is because we've, a lot of Christians have been, taught that, yeah, prayer is talking to God, but like he doesn't really listen. And also it's like, you do realize by calling yourself a Christian that you believe that a man was fully God and then was murdered and was raised from the dead three days later. Like you already know you sound crazy, but yet you don't want to sound crazy enough to actually talk to the guy. So just, I, I need you to step with me here. Okay. I 100% believe that God himself will show you what your spider is. You just have to ask him. And so really the first step that I tell people to to take in trying to discover their spiders, the agreements that they made with lies, is to pay attention. Pay attention. You see, 
I believe that God is speaking all the time around us. So many people think that God just speaks when you go to the mountains or when you're in a worship service or when your favorite worship song comes on or when you feel it. Not like God's speaking all the time, all the time. Moment after moment after moment, he's constantly speaking. We just have to pay attention. You know, one of the first times that I um, uh, realized how much God's speaking to us and what kind of God we serve that he actually wants to tell us things is my wife and I were on our way home from our, um, I was like maybe 15th year wedding anniversary and we'd gone to Ireland. And so, you know, when, when you go on a trip overseas, you're, well, I don't, I don't know if any of us actually remember what that was like, but that actually was a thing before COVID. And you go over there, you're super excited. Everything's awesome. You come home like you're jet lagged. You spend all your money. You're broke. You just want to get home. So we're in the Detroit County Airport. And I know my wife loves P.F. Chang's and there's a freaking P.F. Chang's in the airport. So guess what? I'm like, baby, I'm going to make you happy. I'm going to make your jet lag go away. We're going to P.F. Chang's. So we go to P.F. Chang's and I order her her favorite, the lettuce wraps. Mm-mm-mm. Those lettuce wraps are good. They're crack. And we were devouring those things. She's smiling. I'm like, man, this is great. This is working. One more flight till we get home. We're at P.F. Chang's. She's happy. You know, I'm going to tell her one story real quick. And the story is about this time that a percussion player forgot his egg shaker. You guys, you guys remember those egg shakers? Like if you're if you're into like, I don't know, early 90s acoustic rock, they were everywhere. Right? So, so the percussion player that plays the congos and they got their egg shakers. Well, the percussion player forgot the egg shaker. So what needed to happen? Well, they ran to the guitar store to grab an egg shaker. But guess what? They were out of shakers in the shape of an egg. They only had a shaker in the shape of a banana, which was a little bit awkward, but whatever. So I continue on this story that I think is funny about this percussion player that has to be shaking a banana the entire worship set. And like at the end of the worship set, this lady walks up and is like, hey, worship is great, but why were you shaking a banana the whole time? I think it's a funny story. The banana story is funny. My wife looks at me and she's like, Literally verbatim, she says, babe, the banana story is not funny. Fine. Check, please. Waitress brings the check. Server, excuse me, brings the check. And on top of every check at every Chinese restaurant you've ever been to, wrapped in shrink wrap is a what? That's right. It's a fortune cookie. So we each grab our fortunes, fortune cookies, and I crack my fortune cookie open. And the second I slid that piece of paper out, that fortune cookie, I begin to freak out. Oh my gosh. What? What the? Fr- oh, what? What? What is happening? And I'm looking around and Heather's like, what is wrong with you? And I'm freaking out because I need you guys to guess what one word was on that fortune. What was the word? Go ahead and say it. One, two, three. That's right. Banana. The word banana was on the freaking fortune. I am looking around for hidden cameras thinking that Ashton Kutcher is about to run out and I'm going to be unpunked because I. There's no way this is real. What, what? What? And when I showed her the fortune, my wife starts dying laughing. And she said, we serve a whimsical God. Oh, this is such a word for some of you guys. This is what she said. We serve a whimsical God. And she goes, sometimes you're not going to find God in just the serious and the mundane. We serve a fun God who's speaking to us in fun things all the time. That's just God going, psst, psst. Hey, Carlos. Pay attention. 
Friends, I took that fortune home. I put it in a freaking frame next to my bed. So every morning I wake up and I'm reminded to pay attention. Now, half of you guys are like, okay, that's a cool story. The other half of you guys are like, that's called a coincidence, Carlos. Now, I, and I totally get it. I was with you. Until this kind of stuff started to happen every single day, then it no longer is a coincidence, right? So stay with me one more second. You want to find your spider? Pay attention. You want to find your spider? Ask questions. We serve a specific God that answers our questions. So ask him. Just straight up ask him. Write it in a journal. Ask him, what is the agreement I've made with the lie? And start to pay attention. You see, we serve a specific God. We don't serve a vague God. And I know y'all believe in a specific God because even though you pray vague prayers until crisis hits, when it hits the fan, your prayers go from vague to specific. That tumor and that part of the body right there, right? That's how specific our prayers get. But so many times our prayers are like, oh, God, bless my life this year. I mean, I get it. Man, God don't want your vague prayers. He wants you to be specific. I have a friend of mine that um, knows I love to teach people on how to hear from God. So he, we meet at coffee and he's like, hey, I want you to teach me how to hear from God. So I was like, okay. And he pulled out his moleskin like I was about to give him like three, three steps or whatever. I said, no, no, no. I want you to ask God right now where we should go to lunch after coffee. He goes, wait, God's going to talk to me right now? I said, absolutely. So he, uh, he says, okay. He kind of crosses his fingers. He's looking a little nervous, but he kind of points his face up at the sky and starts saying, uh, okay, God, uh, where should, he didn't say it out loud, but he's like, where? Oh no, he did say it out loud. Actually. He said, where should me and Carlos go to lunch? Then, uh, he kind of looked at me like, was that good enough? Like, did I need to say like, ah, the father, God, baby, Jesus. And, uh, and then he, he waits a second, then he goes, amen. Like, maybe you have to say amen in order for God to hear you. You have to hang up, right? So <laughs> I let him sit there for about 30 seconds, completely him. He was freaking out. He's like putting his fingers in his ears. He's wiping his face. He's picking up his phone. I don't know if he thinks God's going to text him. Finally, he's like, I don't hear anything. I didn't hear anything. And I was like, well, did you sense something? He's like, oh, feelings, feelings. Everybody's got feelings. <laughs> this is literally what he said. I said, listen, man, don't edit Holy Spirit. Don't edit God. And uh, I said, what did you, did you see something when you prayed? And he didn't want to say it. Why? Because he didn't want to be wrong. That's our biggest fear when we pray. It's that we heard wrong or we didn't hear. That's our biggest fear. I said, just say it. What did you see? And he said, okay. I saw that Thai restaurant named Thai Phuket over in Titan Stadium parking lot. I said, you did. He said, yeah. I said, okay. Was it God? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, let's go. So we go to Thai Phuket. Guess what? Jesus did not appear in the steam of my Thai chicken curry soup. Guess what? The, the waiter didn't appear with long flowy hairs and a robe looking like Jesus. We actually forgot that we'd ask God where to go to lunch. We just had a good lunch. It was fine. It was normal. We forgot. So as we're on our way out, homeboy goes, gets in his motorcycle. I get in the, again, the, another character in the story that never goes away. My minivan, different seasons of life. And as he's getting on that motorcycle, I'll never forget. I'm telling you the most country human being you've ever seen in your life explodes out of that front door of Ty Phuket. And he's screaming, Hey man, Hey man, you, Hey man, you, Hey man, you. And he's shaking his finger and he's kind of, his, his eyes are real googly. And he's runs up to my buddy and he's like, Hey man, you, you're gonna think I'm crazy, man. You're gonna think I'm crazy. You're gonna think I'm crazy, man. And I remember both my buddy and I looked at each other and we were like, yes, we think you're crazy. What the, what, what is happening? Man, you can think I'm crazy, man. Do you sometimes work on your laptop over at that coffee shop called Frothy Monkey on 12 South? <laughs> and my buddy's like, his eyes start getting real big. He's like, yeah, now Frothy Monkey's a coffee shop. And the, the man goes, 
man, I was in there working on my, we're working myself and I was reading my Bible and you came in there. And I remember feeling very specifically that God told me to pray for you, but I was too chicken because I was weird. So I just let you walk out. I never thought I'd see you again. But then I was sitting in here in Taifu Ken, you came walking in and I was like, oh my God, you can't let him leave twice again. So I ran out here and I chased you. <sighs> Can I please pray for you? My buddy's eyes got so big. And I got in my minivan and left that weird man with my friend in that parking lot all by himself. But then he called me 10 minutes later and he said, God answered my specific question. Friends, you want to find out what your spider is? Get specific and ask. What is the agreement I've made with the lie? He'll tell you. He'll show you. You'll find it. And now here's the deal. Once you find the spider, this is the, uh, this is the, the, the biggest, uh, biggest news of the day. My, my Kill the Spider book, I don't know how many pages it is, 227. There's only three pages on how to actually kill the spider because the hardest part is finding it, okay? It's going to take some therapy, a lot of therapy. It's going to take a lot of prayer. But more than anything, it's going to take you just being specific and paying attention. Once you find it, it's easy. This is how you kill the spider. Spider's a lie. You confess the lie. You reject the lie. And you replace the lie. That's it. Boom. I think I've talked about this in my anxiety podcast before. You confess the lie. You reject the lie. You replace the lie. You confess the lie. I confess that I believe that I've been abandoned. That was my lie. Okay, we go back to my lie, what caused the destruction in my life. I felt abandoned by God. So I confess that I was abandoned by God. I reject that lie. So then you actually have to, like secular psychologists will tell you, you've, you've got to verbally reject the lie, even in secular spaces, that something happens in your brain and in your soul when you reject it. You reject the lie. I reject the lie. Right now, I send it away out of this house that I have been abandoned by God. And I replace the lie with truth. And this is the most important part. There's so much truth around you you can replace lies with. You got to find the truth and replace it. When you replace the lie with the truth, spiders die. And freedom is here. And I begin to find my freedom. And friends, I know you can find yours too. I know freedom is so close and so near for so many of you guys. Pay attention. Ask specific questions. When you get to the lie, confess the lie, reject the lie, and replace the lie. And do that every single day. Because listen, just because you kill one spider doesn't mean another one's not going to pop up. But this is where our behaviors begin to change. Now, of course, in my book, I go way deeper my book, Kill the Spider, as to how we can actually get there. But if you've got habits that you've been trying your hardest to get rid of and you've been just trying to deal with the habits, I'm telling you, the habits are just the cobweb. You got to find the lie. Once you find the lie, and it may take a therapist to help you, okay? Once you find the lie, you can do so much more damage, so much more work. And freedom is so clear. Listen, I believe in you. I believe in every single one of you. I believe that you guys have the capacity to find freedom and healing from whatever destructive behavior it is in your life, okay? Whatever faith background you come back from, whatever worldview you come from, there are lies you believe that are causing the behaviors in your life, okay? You can be free from them when you confess the lie, reject the lie, and then replace the lie with whatever truth it is you need to find. I find it in God's word. 
So I changed my, you know, the lie that I used to, another lie, spider, was that I'm going to be stuck with anxiety my whole life. Well, then I went to the word of God and I found some truths in scripture that told me that wasn't going to be the case. And I just replaced those lies with the truth. You guys got this. Oh, I know that was a lot, uh, but I, I wanted to share with you guys. I want to give you guys some hope, some human hope from me to you, letting you know that it is possible and achievable. Freedom is closer than you think, and I believe in you. You guys are miracles. You're walking freaking miracles. Some of you guys have already like manifested into your miracles, but there's other of you, others of you that need to believe that that manifestation is possible. Miracles on miracles are waiting for you. Trust me. I've seen it happen to the lowest of the lows. I've seen it happen to the most decrepit. I've seen it happen to those that didn't think they had a chance left on earth. And I'm telling you, you not only have a chance, you have so much potential ahead of you. I hope that my story of hope um, encourages you, some of you guys, to get into it, to get after it. And I'm going to start doing this more and more. We've already had one episode where we do this, but I'm going to end today's show. First of all, thanking our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you, guys. Um, please go to betterhelp.com slash humanhope, um, H-E-L-P, help.com, and make sure you guys sign up. Get, get started on finding the spider in your life. You can do it, everybody. It's available for everybody, so you guys can do that. So thank you, BetterHelp. But also, I want to leave today with some more stories of hope. You guys have left me some incredible stories over the last few weeks on the voicemail line. And if you don't know what it is, you can go to my Instagram link in bio and you can always leave me a voicemail there. But I'm going to end today's show with some of your stories of hope. You guys, this week, close the show out. I love you with everything inside of me. You guys got this. And I promise I got you. See you next week. Hey, Carlos. This is Kristen from Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I am actually leaving on Saturday with my daughter, who I am adopting. Um, she aged out of foster care a few months ago. She's 18, and I'm 28. Um, so there's only like 10 years difference between us, and uh, I actually aged out of foster care myself. So um, just really powerful trip. Um, she's actually going to meet her bio family um, this trip as well. My name is Lisa Beard and I'm from Hudsonville, Michigan. I had two amazing things happen in the past year. After seven months of unemployment, my husband got a new job that is so amazing and has been such a blessing to our family. The second thing was shortly after he got his new job, he was diagnosed with cancer. Following the surgery and our follow-up visit with the surgeon, he looked us in the eye and said he was able to remove all the cancer. He has one more treatment and then will just be followed up for one more year. Through both of these things, not only was it amazing to hear he was cancer free, but daily we got winks from God, letting us know that he was there, giving us hope. This is Sarah from Cypress, Texas. Last June on our annual trip to Destin, Florida, my six-year-old son went missing on the beach and he had been in the ocean in an open body of water playing. We looked for him for about 10 to 12 minutes and could not find him and immediately started to ask the people around us for help. We started praying. Um, I had to call my husband back in Texas and tell him that our son was missing, call 911 and report him as a missing person. 
I was almost sure that he was gone from me forever. Um, and that, and I, I could just only hope to recover his body and be able to bring him home and celebrate his short life. However, almost an hour later and over a mile plus 100 yards down the beach into the sun, into the wind and into the waves, he was found walking, playing, talking and was brought back to me on a quad by the beach patrol. And now um, every June we will celebrate the day that our boy was rescued and returned to his mama and his family. And we just praise God for one of many um, great miracles that he's worked in our life. But specifically in the return of Pierce to us on the beach when we were terrified that we'd never see him again. Praise God. And those are just a few of your incredible stories of hope. We'll see you next Thursday for another episode of Human Hope.